Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of a few books on all things cycling-related, author of the upcoming Shred Girls series, and writer about pretty much everything health and fitness-related, and also doer of most things fitness-related. And I'm Peter Glassford. I am a kinesiologist uh, up in Collingwood, Ontario, Ontario's mountain town. Um, and mostly I work with cyclists and endurance athletes, helping them, you know, get through injury or get towards that big goal while dealing with busy lifestyles. Awesome. And I will say, Collingwood being a mountain town, they have a magazine called Mountain Life that actually uh, I was just featured in. And we talk a bunch about the podcast in there. I was really excited. The headline was um, Cyclist Iron Woman Bookworm. Yes, quite exciting. You're now a socialite. And, and ah, tell. yes. I'm yes. an influencer, I think, is yes. what the, the Take, kids are calling it these days. Already taking Canada by storm. Yes. Uh, anyway, uh, we've uh, just gotten back from Louisville, where we were for the Pan American Cyclocross Championships. Uh, that was super fun. We got to hang out with a lot of people who actually have been listening to the podcast. So those of you who stopped by and said hi and chatted, hello. It was awesome meeting you. <laughs> yeah, lots of people, you know, excited about the podcast or a certain episode or something. So definitely keep reaching out. You know, it's it's really why we do it is to talk to, you know, great people when they're guests, but then also, you know, have those follow up interactions, whether that's online or, you know, ideally in person where we get to actually meet new people and, you know, yeah. exchange ideas about this, this consummate athlete. Yeah. And I also met concept. a bunch, yeah, a bunch of parents and little girls who were stoked on Shred Girls and waiting waiting patiently for the books to come out next year so that was also really exciting for me and uh caught up with one of my real life shred girls lily who raced the u23 race she's super rad she was sporting her shred girls cap all weekend Mm -hmm. yeah i saw a few of those walking around it's pretty cool right (laughs) Yeah. yeah it's exciting right now for younger women you know ellen noble who we're traveling with is started or at least popularized the bunny hopping of the the barriers which are big wood planks um and then even this weekend one of the younger i think junior girls started doing it mm-hmm. so there's starting to be this big push where you know a lot of the females are starting to do this sort of high flying you know semi-dangerous activity it's pretty awesome during the race so if you look up like barrier hopping ellen noble you'll sort of get some of the videos and stuff that have been shot already but uh yeah it's, it's pretty exciting time mm-hmm. or go to shred girls.com to see a video of her talking about oh, how yeah, to get molly, over obstacles molly has it on her book site too uh anyway yeah we got in a couple of good little runs along the water louisville is one of my absolute favorite places it's where i did my first iron man it's where cyclocross worlds were just one of the best places for active people and active people who love to eat the food there is bananas good uh, not just bananas other right. other stuff too yeah uh, anyway today's guest yeah today i was really excited uh even nervous talking to greg I, i've met greg a few times um he's his courses i've been it's been on my list to go to but the problem is we both travel he travels much more than us i think which is i, I don't know how it's possible yeah but. to more far-flung places too yeah so anyhow greg is a, a really interesting uh person because he is a physiotherapist a chiropractor and then also you know has a, a master's i believe in biomechanics so he's a, still active in researching but then also has clinical practice and then also does these courses around sort of educating uh, different medical practitioners, you know, athletic practitioners. So you have your massage, your physio, your chiro, doctors, strength coaches. You know, he's going around worldwide. Uh, we had, he had just been in Argentina with a group of physiotherapists before we spoke. Um, and basically has two courses. He has uh, reconciling biomechanics with pain science. 
uh, course, and that's sort of coming to terms with, you know, when people are in pain and chronic pain, especially, you know, why is that and how do we help these people get out uh, of pain? And the answer isn't always, you know, make their, their spines more stable or, um, you know, ram a, a metal rod and just rub it up and down their leg really hard and hope that that works. There's this biopsychosocial model of pain that says, you know, our stress level, our sleep, our nutrition, um, all, all fits into that. And I think Greg is really good at sort of helping us understand that. And, and we talk a lot about that today, so I won't belabor that. Uh, and then he also does a running resiliency course, um, which is a really, really cool course. For, you know, one of his passions is running. And so helping people understand, again, sort of when you have that Achilles tendonitis or, or something like that, how you build yourself up to be resilient and running. You know, running is a very high risk sport, which we don't realize watching, you know, just a running race. But a lot of runners get injured every year. Very high. Yeah, percentage. it's a pretty high percentage. It's actually kind of terrifying, to be honest. So, so yeah, so check out greglayman.ca. Um, we'll link to that, and we talk about a bit about that. We don't do a lot of sales on the show. Greg is much more about the the talking of the pain and the ed- the education side of it. So I'll I'll do a bit of sales for him now, uh, hopefully. But if you're in Canada, he's in Peterborough. He's out in BC this year. Um, and then he's also over to like Norway and into London a bunch. Um, so check out the, the, if either of those courses sounds interesting to you, um, I think you'd enjoy it. All right, let's dive in. Enjoy the podcast with Greg Lehman. Awesome. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Very excited today. We have Greg Lehman. Uh, Greg is someone I have looked up to uh, for quite a while. Greg's put me back together uh, numerous times from different cycling and, and cycling versus car collisions. Um, <laughs> but he's also, you know, someone I, I really watch on Twitter and, and on his website and stuff just for ideas and and really for learning about pain science and all things sort of related to movement and injury. Uh, so Greg, thank you so much for humoring me today and coming on and chatting for, for a little bit. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so what I, I like to do, you know, I, I'm very bumbling in explaining how people, who people are and, and, you know, how they want to explain themselves. So I thought, you know, when you're doing these talks, you just got back from Argentina, you know, doing, was this, was the, it was obviously a, more of your pain science one, not the running one? Uh, yeah, that was the the biomechanics and pain science course. Perfect. So this is practitioners. You're traveling worldwide talking to physios, you know, any type of medical practitioner, right? That's right. Yeah, awesome. these these are mostly physios. Sometimes it's, it's different, but in Argentina, I guess it was physios. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're teaching the teacher. Um, so when you introduce yourself to these people, you know, how, how do you describe yourself? Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm a physio and a Cairo. So which really just means, uh, d- depending on the room, it depends who I make fun of, right? That's uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> I got to read the crowd. Who's willing? Who's right. willing to get made fun of? Uh, and, and my background's in in sport and exercise biomechanics. I did an undergrad in that, and then a master's in that, and you know, research for ten years. But I was always thinking to be always a clinician as well. So when we do research, and I like research. But it's it, it has to be uh, practical to me. So that, that's what I'm doing now. I still see some patients, uh, and I'm still doing a little bit of biomechanic uh, research, um, and, and then I'm I'm teaching a lot and traveling around teaching uh, biomechanics and and pain and injuries and all that wonderful stuff. Okay, and, and on top of that, you're a father, and you're also you're, you run still actively, and you you go to gymnastics. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm running less. I'm probably only running uh, three days a week. You know, maybe I'll train for a marathon next year because it's easier now to get into Boston based on my age. Uh, <laughs> right. 
But I, I'm primarily, you know, maybe uh, four to six hours of gymnastics a week and then uh, more rock climbing instead of running. Maybe, Jeez, you know. You are such the consummate athlete. I am so glad I had you on. That's what I said to Greg in the intro. I was like, it, you're, you know, I'm amazed by your professional accomplishments, but you're here because of these sporting. I didn't even know about the rock climbing. Well, I, I'm pretty mediocre, right? But, um, you know, I climbed a lot last year. Cause it, and, it, and you know what? Sorry, it's wall climbing. It's not. I'm in Toronto, so. <laughs> there's not a lot there is some out there stuff around yeah but i just picked it picked it up you know last year and my, and my neighbors are good climbers and there's a gym you know that's 10 minutes from my house so there's no excuse not to so you know you put the kids to sleep and then you go to the gym from 9 30 to 11 and you know you need a boulder or we have really good our root setters are excellent for on the auto belay so i don't even need a partner so there's no real excuse not to climb wow and which one I are just you, found, which you, know, one are you, you using? all the time when you run six days a week and and, you, and your running volumes a lot, you, you're like fit for running, but you're not fit. You're not really fit. <laughs> that no, was the issue. You're not fit to walk upstairs because you're so sore. No, I felt I didn't. I didn't feel. I didn't feel fit. So that's why I added the gymnastics and the the climbing again. Okay, and you say again because you had a gymnastics background from your youth. Yeah, when I was a teenager, I, you know, I, I'd be one of those people doing backflips off of picnic tables and stuff like that. And so I, I taught like little kids gymnastics and, and trampoline, but but I was never I was never good uh, at all. So now I'm in my 40s. It's kind of fun to learn to do things properly and and to to do things that I've I've never done before. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, like twisting. <laughs> yeah, I saw. It. So if you go on and watch, or, uh, check out Greg's Instagram or Twitter, he he posts these successes. And the best part is your face when you land. You're just so authentically happy, and like almost surprised. Like it's such a good like feel good moment on social media. Oh, it's it's always a surprise. Yeah, because because it, it's all new. That's what's cool when you start a new sport. I always feel bad for people who are kind of elite athletes when they're younger, mm -hmm. because. You know, when they're 35 or 40, they're they're never going to be doing what they did before, right? And so, um, when you start something new, you have all the you're, you're always setting a PB, right, or a personal personal best. Yeah, no, so that's we, what's fun when you pick up a new sport. Hundred percent, and that's I mean, you've just basically sold our podcast, so thank you for that. Uh, your checks in the mail, but um, <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> well, there you go, uh, plausible deniability, but. Uh, that's definitely, you know, I, I took on, you know, it was a small step to the left, I guess, but, um, we did an Ironman this, this past summer and it was really yeah. for exactly that reason. I was like, you know, I can't swim. Swimming's pretty important. Like I want to do, it wasn't really that I wanted to swim, but I want to do be, feel safe, you know, at the beach or when I, you know, go surfing or something. So it's like, it seems like swimming is just important as a yeah. know, human movement, you know, so I was like, I'm going to enter an Ironman, never do, have done a triathlon. It's the worst thing you can do. And I know this as a coach. And I was like, I'm just going to enter it. I'm going to scare myself a year out and I'm going to teach myself to swim. And it was exactly what you say. Every day, PB, every day, new aha moment. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun. It's fun. I don't know what, what's next because <laughs> it's going to start to plateau, but that's okay. Well, I'll convince you, you come mountain biking and uh, we'll get you doing that. Yeah. Okay. Done. Yeah. yeah awesome. <laughs> Um, I was just gonna, where are you climbing in Toronto? Uh, so I'm in Leslieville. So there's a, a place called uh, Rock Oasis. Okay. And uh, it's it's relatively small. Like the, the roofs aren't very high, but I've, I've climbed. So that's what I do when I go to the states to teach. I always go to a gym there. So I've, I have some pretty good comparisons from you know maybe five to ten cities. Yeah. And I'm actually quite quite impressed with the route setting. Okay. So it might only be thirty feet, but it's um 
it, it's pretty good, Rock Oasis. Have yeah. you climbed outside very much? No, so never, never. And it, and it's odd. My my neighbor is is like a former guide who did a lot in Scotland, UK, and all over Ontario. Right. And he's like, you know, can do traditional climbing too, where you're putting in gear and all that stuff. And yeah. And we haven't gone. It's pretty pathetic. Who, <laughs> We're not real rock climbers. If you don't fe- think they'll mind, what's what's their name? Oh, that small. All community. my neighbors are named Andrew or Kyle. Okay. All the people I climb with, I climb. With, there's like six different people <laughs> there. So it's one of the Andrews or okay. one of the okay, Kyles. Okay, good. That's a good way to a good code. I, I don't know Andrews or Kyles, but I know a bunch of people in the rock climbing community. Um, no, I don't think they're they're, they're not climbing as much. They're not really in the okay. community. Just they have a history of like being pretty solid climbers. Like you know, like he hasn't climbed for whatever five years and he'll just send a, a five twelve relatively yeah. easily that's crazy that that muscle memory right and i guess yeah. tendon, tendon ligament almost memory for for climbing i think is more important right like the because that's what takes the years to build up super super impressive yeah yeah not 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 like super easy but still doing it right. and it hasn't really climbed in a few years so yeah and the technique is just so right like once you figure it out you've sort of you oh know, the technique's beautiful yeah. yeah yeah they're not muscling anything Okay, I, I I feel like so we have a, another friend. She's been on the podcast. Her name's Leslie Timms, and she's like legit rock climber. Like she travels all winter to go do that. But she has a, a climbing guiding business up here in Collingwood. I, oh, cool. I am smelling like a consummate athlete. We're gonna have like a reunion, and we're all gonna go climbing for the day um, <laughs> up up here in Collingwood. Um, and we'll all have mixed abilities, but it's okay because it's rock climbing. No one's getting dropped, so it, it's awesome. Yeah, that's what I love. That's what I like about climbing too. So my kids used to climb with me, right? On the autobelay, or 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 if I, I would take them up the other routes, and that's what's so fantastic, right? They can be doing a five seven or a five eight, yeah, and I can be beside them doing something else. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't. I don't want to go. Well, I do want to go deep on this, but uh, for gymna- no, okay. for gymnastics, because I think it's something that a lot of us are missing. You know, in my own, I guess, specialty. I see a lot of people who didn't get any sort of movement training, um, gymnastics as, as youth, so they can't tumble. So yeah. in cycling, what that means is when they fall, it's outstretched arm, very clumsy, broken arm, collarbone, whatever. Um, and, and I feel like the people who have had that exposure just pick up skills so fast. And, and the, the worst case scenario is rarely, you know, until it gets really bad, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, like, is there something you can suggest? Like, how you know, are you going to like an adult drop-in, or like, how yeah, can, so how can go, someone do uh, this? Because I, I have a few fundamentals. So, you know, we have a trampoline in our backyard, and my and my girl. So I go to two adult drop-ins, and then the other thing I do, which is hilarious or kind of ridiculous, is my little girls do cheerleading gymnastics, right? Mm-hmm. And so I joined the tumbling class. So it's me and a bunch of girls from seven to twelve years old. What? <laughs> <laughs> with the parents just watching, like, who's this old man? <laughs> so do you just pass yourself off as a coach, or how does that work? No, I just joined the class. So There's... I just started I started with the over 12, and then, then my little 7-year-old, we do the same thing. She's pretty good, so she can do back handsprings and all that stuff, and that's the stuff I do. So it's all based on levels. It's not how old you are. Huh. So I just jump in. And cheerleading, surprisingly, has sort of a history of, like, typically older go- girls and then some men of, like, you know, 20 somethings might be on the same team as a 15 year old because it's all sk- skill based. Right. Like, so, so it's not too weird. There are a few, but there's not really other 43 year olds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't want there to be. Like, I got something good here. So I'll work on my tumbling. Right, right. I'll hear a 16 year old girl say, Oh, I'm sore because I'm, oh, I'm getting old. I'm too old for that. 
Gymna- well, that's like gymnastics old, right? But- yeah, yeah. So, so, so that, and then you know, lots of drop-ins, and then I just uh, and I I watch a lot of videos to pick up new skills now. Okay. <laughs> Is there, awesome. Where's like a good resource? Do you have like a, a good like a YouTube channel you watch or anything? Uh, Greg Rowe Trampoline. He's uh, really good. Um, he's a Canadian trampoline coach, but now he's getting into tricking and he's going around to these trampoline parks. Yeah. Uh, there's another Canadian, a guy named Dovica, I think, teaches how to twist. There's a guy named uh, David Morris. He's an aerial skier, but he also does, like, teaches people how to properly do back layouts and back tucks. Um, so, so those guys are the fun, like, they're the good fundamentals. And those, if you like tricking, like, that's sort of doing, like, the one-legged backflips and twisting. Mm-hmm. There's... A, a bunch of guys out there that teach that. One group I like is uh, Plan Zero. They're out of the, the UK. They're a little older. And then there's just random 14-year-old boys that I watch on YouTube that looks weird. <laughs> it sounds weird to say, but I understand. <laughs> I don't know. What the hell am I doing? Because <laughs> you're just watching for what they're doing, and every now and then they act like 14-year-old boys, and you're like, oh, shitballs, I'm watching 14-year-old boys YouTube channels. <laughs> No more talking, no more being kids. Just yeah. teach me how to do this stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay. Um, what have you found has been like helpful, I guess? So when you're working back through this, you obviously have that base. But now that you're making these couple of breakthroughs and stuff, like, is there like a drill, like something fundamental? Like, yeah, far, you like do you so- somersault across the glass? Or like, what do, you, what do you do here that's like really like fundamental that sort of you do every day? So my problem was, so say with a backflip, and this is what I teach in my course, like doing a backflip, I knew how to do it because I could stand on the ground before and do it. So so that helped. But I was getting injured because I was an idiot and not listening to my own advice. So although I could do it, I would I kept straining my abs. I kept straining my shoulders. You know, my ankles were getting sore when I would do it on the floor because there wasn't a safety issue, but I hadn't trained like that in 25 years. Mm-hmm. So what I what I had to do for a few months was back off of just the standing backflips and break the movement down into its components, and then train heavy. Like I did, I had to do way more abs and training my abs in like an extended back position and pulling fast into a flex position and training my shoulder because I was just running for so long. I had to get comfortable training my shoulders way over my head because in running you're not doing that, no. you know. So so I had to I had to break down the movements that I wanted. That's essentially gymnastics. You break down the movements into the parts, train those parts, and then you start linking them to together. So there should never really be any fear because you've done all the all this. Like I never get spotted. I always just break things down. I'll start with more mats. Like that, that, that's really the key and, and good gymnastics coaches. It's, it's all about progressions. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you can get that one prerequisite, then you go on to the next one. And then when you finally go for the trick, it's, it's, it often, often happens pretty quickly if you have those prerequisites. So are you doing like hollow rocks or, and stuff like this? Yeah. So lots, lots of hollow rock. Lo- it's the irony here is, so my master's was spine biomechanics so long ago. I was going to have a Stuart McGill joke here coming up. So yeah. You well, foiled well, that on me. So. Uh, so heavily influenced, we would say like, you, you know, I was, I remember I wrote a paper on the, on, on the leg raise and sit up saying, we don't really need to do these. We shouldn't do these. These are too hard on the spine because of the compression. And now those are exactly the exercises I do. Very fast, single, uh, double leg raises, uh, V snaps, where you lie on your back and you, you snap up and touch your toes. 
lots of sit-ups and that's essential and like that's essentially how I not, not cured but you know well got rid of my low back pain related to tumbling and gymnastics mm-hmm. I I did essentially you say what is what does your joint have to do in the sport what does the muscle have to do all right you better prepare it and then you overload it so um, uh, that, that's it that's that's the irony I was telling people not to do this stuff 20 years ago now here I am and it's totally the right thing to do yeah yeah have you seen uh, do you know what a Jefferson cool curl is yeah, to- totally. Yeah. So it's, you know, like stiff knee, fully rounded back, deadlift type motion. Yeah. yeah. And there's people that have, are convinced, like they say that cured their back pain. Like they basically trained, you know, a, a very poor lift by the like, use your legs, you know, university yeah. definition. Um, and to me, you know, it, it makes, you don't need to load it ridiculously, but you know, you can start with nothing essentially, right? And it's really like a yoga type motion, but yeah, absolutely. It's the idea. I mean, fundamentally, and that's what's in the workbook there. Those, there's like key messages that, you know, you know, as long as there's not a massive amount of damage, which is really, really rare with people in pain anyway, and you're not causing more damage. If you find a motion that hurts a little bit, and you slowly start doing it, provided you don't flare up a massive amount the next day, it can you can actually desensitize. It's like you you cyclists when you're crotch. Right. What happened when people? What do, I'm sure all your new athletes they complain about how sore their crotch is at the start. Well, my wife did write a book on this topic. So okay. Uh, well, yeah. you you, you, you kind of slowly habituate to that stuff, or a martial artist who punches something. Right. You know they 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 turn turn down their sensitivity to that motion. You get you get comfortable with it. So that that's one of the ideas there. Where you sometimes it's a good idea to avoid things that hurts and and you change your technique so that you don't keep sensitizing yourself but there's also a subset of people where you find the thing that's sensitive and provided you weren't it, actually maybe you've been avoiding for too long and, and you start doing it again and and you can actually learn to tolerate it and and have less pain it's 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 pretty amazing like it's sort of the motion is lotion taken to the extreme mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I wonder if this is a good juncture just for you to explain briefly um, sort of what what pain is and nociception. Um. Yeah, that's the the idea. So nociception or nociception would be sort of the signal from your your body, you know, and we have little receptors and nerve endings and, and they're like these da- potential danger detectors or I almost think of more as like irrita- irritability detectors. They're just our surveillance system. And they get triggered by like pressure, heat, and and chemical inflammation. Then they send the signal onto the spinal cord, and at that point in time, your spinal cord can kind of say, um, "Do I want to send this on to the brain, or can I just stop it here?" It doesn't need the brain doesn't need to know about this, so you can dampen it, like turn it down, and that's often what exercise does. Or, you know when you smack yourself in the thumb with a hammer and you rub your hand and it feels a little bit better? That's what we think is happening there is that you're stopping that signal at the spinal cord a little bit. Uh, exercise, when you guys get a, an endorphin release or, you, or a runner's high, that sort of you know might be helping stopping the nociception of the spinal cord. And then the nociception goes to the brain and the brain's like, oh, okay, there could be something going on there. Um, what do I think is the brain? I know that this isn't totally accurate, but the brain kind of makes a decision like, um, you know, am I in danger? Is this worth paying attention to? 
And the brain or you, you know, that's the, the better word, not like you're, you're separate from your brain, but if you sort of decide subconsciously, uh, pain is probably a good idea. I'm worried about this, you know, here's some pain. And, and the, the reconceptualization is that pain is meant to help you. It's, it's meant to motivate an action. You know, it's, it's your response to a perceived threat. It, it, it's not always right though, and, and the amount of pain you feel is often way out of proportion to the amount of damage or, or, or nociception. Like you can, you can trick people, you can give them the same amount of nociception or tissue irritation, and you can change how much pain they feel based on a, a number of things. So it's, it's quite confusing. And then the problem with persistent pain is like, after a while, the same amount of nociception can lead to way more pain, so you can get better at it. That's the problem, and it doesn't make sense. That's 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 the other thing. Well, it's not universal. Like you, you are different than me, right? Yeah, I, I, absolutely. And and you will be different across days. Where one day you can tolerate something, uh, and then in the next space, maybe you're not sleeping well, you're irritable, you have some depression and anxiety, and and those sensitizers are higher. So now the same input, the same nociception leads to like way more pain or your or your the big thing, one thing we think is it's our beliefs about pain. So like if you think your back is sore, which isn't unusual if you're riding a lot. Sure. But if somebody told you, oh, that back pain from riding and that's because your disc is damaged and the flexion is causing pressure on the nerves. And now, and now you're never going to be able to ride when you're 65 years old and you worry about it more. That rumination, that, that's what we call it catastrophizing, where you think the worst. Mm-hmm. That can actually amplify the pain that you feel. Because a part of you thinks giving you pain is helping you out. <laughs> right. So we overdo it. So and this, it's not psychological. That's the big thing. Right. And this, this is what you're describing as sort of this interaction uh, is the biopsychosocial model of pain, right? So that all aspects sort of contribute. It's not just that we deadlifted a really heavy weight. It could be the fact we were up on caffeine and didn't sleep and then someone distracted us and people were watching us and stressed out. Absolutely. Work, right? And it's the same thing as performance, right? right? Like when you guys are in a race, it's your fatigue and your like fatigue. The definition of like uh, like fatigue, one of them would be like when you, when your motivation is less than the effort level, right? So that's when people start to slow down. That's when they start to get fatigued. It's not just hydrogen ions, you know, lactate running out of fuel. So you know th- those are factors. That's the st- information coming from the body. But how hard it feels. And your performance will be driven by other factors than just your, you know, body physiology. Right. Like your athletes will totally get that uh, as well. And no one would say, oh, it's just psychological, you doing great in the race. No, it's an interaction between everything. I like that. So you could almost say it's almost inverse, but fitness it is almost like it's almost like pain, I guess, in some ways that it, it, it is. And then performance is, you know, not de- you know, it depends on fitness, but it's not the only aspect, right? It, so. Exactly. And so pain can absolutely be influenced by the body and damage, but it's not the only thing. Right. 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 That that that's that's what's fantastic. And, and you uh, you come from a very biomechanical bias, as you as you call it, but background. 
Yeah. Um, so it's not that you're like a, you know, all touchy feely, like this is like in your brain and we can meditate <laughs> and stuff. It's, it's that you're acknowledging that there's many factors, right? Just to no, be- and, and I would use the body and the biomechanics to influence those other factors. Right. So someone's like fra- afraid of moving and anxious and we think that that is a factor uh, in their pain. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to talk to them about it. Right. Like, you know, you overcome your anxiety and your fear by doing the movements. Right. right. That like so the the biomechanics like can influence the, the psycho and the, the social aspect of pain. Like that, that's how. And so, yeah, we talk about it a little bit, but not everyone needs that stuff. Right. And the talking would be like a coach just motivating someone. That's sort of the idea that the, the talking is just to change what people think. So maybe they'll they'll try it try the exercises or the movements or the activities right and not catastrophizing right and and it's not you know bulge discs and the loose si joints and leg length discrepancies and all these things are really intimidating and seem really unchangeable right when you when you're told that you have one yeah Um, Yeah. and and so it's it's also that that discussion of just like you know it's very normal lots of people have disc issues or, or not even issues disc abnormalities um and you, you f- function completely fine, right? Yeah, it's like our so those things might be a factor, you know, or, and you can have muscle tears, but your treatment for them, uh, so even we're, so we're not always sure how much they're involved. But what's great is even if you have a muscle tear or a problem in the tissue, the treatment's the same. You're probably going to load it and start using it. That's right. what stimulates healing. So people often say, well, you're telling me this is just because I'm sensitive, you know, and it's not so much the body. But what if there really is damage? And I say, that's great, because if there really is damage. <laughs> yeah, now we understand the way, this. Yeah, the way we heal things is to use it. Right. Right. There is the only thing that where you there's not many things, but the few things where you really rest it would be like a massive a stress fracture in some areas that can go to real stress fractures. You know, like the femoral neck, like if you have a runner, especially like a female, um, you know, who's maybe underweight, not eating well and some amenorrhea, like doesn't get her period like like that with like that can go to a full stress fracture. So with them, we would rest that. But everything else, if it's a tendinopathy, like a problem with a tendon, if it's a muscle tear, if it's osteoarthritis, if it's osteoporosis, how do we treat it? We stress it. <laughs> yeah. We still we still use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's like some consistency here. So you know we rule out the really nasty stuff, but other than that, treatments often very similar. Yeah, and I see you know a little bit at the gym when I'm working with my kinesiology hat on. And, you know, there's people who have found Pilates and yoga and stuff, and they found some relief through that, but they're not. They're sort of plateaued. You know, and, yeah. and pretty, I, I would say, weak. Like, they're not, you know, as far as activities of daily living and, and thriving. And it's, I think some of that is that, like, they have this delicate, you know, patient, you know, mindset, I guess. And, yeah. you know, they don't think they can pick up the 10-pound weight or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, this is a can of soup. So, you know, if you want to have a can of soup, we're going to need to pick up these two-pounders. Um, you know, and we can bend over and the gradual exposure and, you know, like you say, just easing them into whatever motions and stuff, but, you know, encouraging them that they're, they're hardy human beings. Yeah, that, that, that's it. I, I can say like my patients, like our, our goal is to one, if they're interested in this, our goal is to get them to have just as much faith in their body as I do. 
Like they don't they don't realize it yet that they're so hardy and robust and stable and strong. Right? They're they're viewing themselves as as frail and worthy and needing protection. Mm-hmm. Where it, it it can't be and so that all leads to this this sensitivity some sometimes. Right. You know, so so those sorry, I just one thing that those are sort of the people often who avoid, like that's their coping as avoidance. Sometimes we do have to back off. Like I'm not telling saying everyone if it hurts just keep hammering it because some people do do that that's called like endurance coping where they keep going into the thing that hurts and that may not be the right thing all the time so sometimes we do have to back off it's just figuring out that balance between stress and and recovery right but this is bringing back in the importance of the discussion and you know reading the situation as the clinician but um you know, yeah, perfect. taking yeah. care of the sleep and taking care of the socialization or, you know, you mentioned even in the red flag, you mentioned amenorrhea and eating disorder and, you know, as possible other things, right? Blood yeah. tests for, um, for whatever, for iron deficiency or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, I wonder, you know, with cyclists, you know, this is common, the back pain thing comes up a lot and, and it's odd. A lot of times you see it, uh, it only in race situations. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and it's so. So to me, as a coach, I'm like I automatically say, "Well, we're not loading sufficiently. We're not hitting that point." But I think in some people, there is a bit of that psychosocial that you know we're in a race. It's intense. We're stressed. We're at the limit of our heart rate. Um, you know, and it's a difficult thing. As much as I want to create that situation and do it in training, it's it's hard to recreate that level of exertion, you know, you can only pull the baby or the, I always say pull the baby off your car, but you can only pull the car off your baby so many times in a season. Um, <laughs> and so how I've handled it is, you know, a it's, it's pain is, is a, an interesting term. It could also be tension, right? Muscles are working hard to stabilize yep. and keep, you know, keep your body on top of that bike, you know, and your, your, everything's fatiguing, your quads are burning too. Um, so trying to re, frame how yeah that discomfort um and, and that works for some people um but i'm wondering you know is there anything from your experience that you know you have found it worked in, in something like that like a, a performance-based pain fatigue tension you know uh, i i you hit on two good points i would first n- normalize it because if, if they're not really having pain any other times and it just comes on at the extremes of uh of their limits Mm -hmm. then i wouldn't really be too worried about it and especially if they feel pretty good after a few days it's kind of a normal thing and so the the idea there but if they don't fully buy into the fact that it's that it's normal and if they still feel like that there's something really damaging going on then that would be a concern right so they that's the idea that they don't trust themselves so they have this normal irritation and then the body and the brain can can amplify that so we want to figure out what they really think is is going on with that. So one is normalized. We should we should normalize that um, um, uh, that pain is normal. <laughs> normalize the normal. Yeah, uh, it should be acceptable. Like people shouldn't believe that they should always be out of pain, especially when you're really pushing yourself. Right, you're you're allowed to have some some discomfort. And again, I would do the exact same thing. Would be uh, I would try to pre- prepare them in the training, like like you said, like the the pulling the car off the baby <laughs> you do other things you could do is like that would be the visualization aspect right so when they're training they kind of want to imagine you know so you're preparing them to handle the sport itself so imagine all of the other stressors that are going on 
you know, when they're training, try to mimic the, the race environment as much as you can. Right. It, not just physically, but like all the other contextual cues and the emotions and that stuff. Uh, and then the other idea is like, we, like, it's not, it's again, it's not weird to have back pain when you're stressing your back a ton. And so we, and it's hard to change those stressors. So what we want to do is like, change our response to those stressors. So that's where you want to look more than just the body. Like, what's their recovery like? What are their hobbies? What's their their social aspects are like? What's 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 their sleep like? Mm. Right? So you, you optimize everything else in their life, you know, get them as healthy as you can. And that can help, you know, um, uh, decrease the sensitivity associated with the, the normal pain while riding. Right. That makes sense. I think so. Yeah. I uh, like you make everything else better would be the idea. That's the true psychosocial aspect. Or like, how can they get healthier everywhere in their life? Right, because you know that these things are associated. Um, yeah. If if there's anything in sleep or anything in even nutrition or or the life stress that that could have a, a, a absolutely. And I think you use a term I really liked it when I was reviewing the uh, your pain workbook, which I'll link to this pain workbook. It's great for anyone clinician or athlete or or anyone just in pain. Um, but you use the term making is it making a bigger cup or, or making the cup bigger? To talk a bit more about that, you know, you talked about sensitization and and just that bigger cup idea. Yeah, to- totally. So the, the idea um, is that. If, if you the, the cup analogy for pain is this so um, we have pain when your cup overflows so the cup overflows and that that's when pain you know goes over and hits the ground so we, we look at pain as what's in your cup like what are all the stressors that go into somebody's cup so that could be osteoarthritis that could be one of the things that could be um, stress it could be the amount of sleep it could be tissue stuff with the tendinopathy it could be how much training they're doing it could be anxiety depression right so because pain is that complicated it's this multi-dimensional uh, interaction between all of these things and we're not super sure exactly in how they interact um, but they, they're, they're certainly variable so to decrease pain you know you kind of have two choices here you can decrease some of the things in the cup you know decrease them all a little bit perhaps or maybe you just find one thing and you decrease that a lot and that influences everything else as well you know um but then the other idea is stress and all those all those things in the cup aren't inherently bad right lots of people can load their spines really heavy lots of people can have depression and anxiety and 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 not have pain right so we don't want to vilify all those stressors so you can also um, cope with those stressors and that's the idea of building a bigger cup you know so like treatment to me is let's do all of those things let's choose things that either build a bigger cup or that perhaps decrease some of the things in the cup you know like sleep is is a great one it's it's both something you're you're decreasing what's in the cup but you're building a bigger cup exercise would be huge and not just exercise it's like finding meaningful physical activity or just you know, spending doing the things that you missed in your life, like that—that's building a, a a bigger cup to me. Like, if you want to ride, and someone told you no, riding 
is horrible on your spine and your spine's going to wear away, you know, that's just stupid to me, right? So you getting out and starting to ride again is both building a bigger cup as well as, you know, decreasing the things that are in the cup. That makes sense? It does, yeah. And I think that's, okay. that's a good message for both sides of the equation. You know, someone could be overtraining in their sport and, and then having pain or someone could be, you know, in need of a bit more movement to increase that, that tolerance. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Tim Gabbett's a famous researcher, and he, he talks about the way we prevent injuries isn't to train less, it's to train more. It's the idea that chronic workload, what you average slowly over time, is what protects you from big spikes in working really hard. So they're, they're not decreasing what they're doing, they're, they're increasing their tolerance and, the, and their preparation. And sorry, that was Tim? Tim Gabbett. Yeah, Gabbett, Tim Gabbett. It's very, very common. He, I say him because he's part of a group of researchers that do this, but a lot, a lot of people have have gone on to this concept. Yeah, there's really good evidence. You see it a lot with like rugby and soccer loads, but I mean, I, I it's one of my favorite topics for cycling. We have all these young athletes who don't train much because of Canadian winter, and then we send them down to like twenty and thirty hour weeks in you know down in the mountains, um, in California or wherever, and you know, lo and behold, they end up with knee pain or something. Oh, yeah, that's like, just well, not... So you went from zero hill climbing <laughs> and, like, eight hours of bicycling, you know, and how many reps has that increased and how much has the loading changed? Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one of yeah, the topic. I, you know, and that's that's an easy one, right, because the pain, you just pull it back and, and start rebuilding, and that's, that's not that complicated. But Yeah, and, like, a, a practical example for your listeners would be, and remember, it's not just those mechanical physical workloads right of the sport so if you have a very stressful week at work or maybe you know you're renovating your house or whatever's going on in your life and you broke up with your girlfriend or your boyfriend those really aren't the weeks to be hammering all of your workouts right those are the weeks where you have to pull back a little bit or maybe you don't do the full workout you still go out and ride but you're not going to hammer the intensity so that so when we talk about what's what all, all the all the loads on the body, it's not just the mechanical loads, right? So it's it's everything that contributes to stress. So everything that can be in the cup. That's the idea. You want to manage all of those stressors. I'm so glad you said that. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, I have to go <laughs> out and like bang out all my frustration and like lift a heavy deadlift, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could probably just go and roll around in the gym for an hour, and you'll feel better. But I don't know if I yeah, still still lift. It's just not the days <laughs> yeah. the day for PR. So I I didn't. I was in Argentina, like I said, and I hardly slept on the plane. Um, and then I had gymnastics yesterday. So that was the day just where I just went on the trampoline. Right there's nothing on the floor. I wasn't really doing any, anything hard. I still it was still the right idea to train, but I'm not going to hammer it. Right. Have you read any, I was going to mention this to you because I think you would enjoy it, but have you read any Dan John? He's a strength coach. Yeah, a, a little bit. I like his, like, keep things simple yes. philosophies and just yeah. slow, consistent load. You know, you don't have to get too special with your training. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's amazing. Just, I find his writing so, like, again, I guess simple. He always jokes that people say it's simple, but, like, it's, it makes him sound like he's dumb. Um but yeah, I find his training methods are just so good and just explained so well. You get so amped for stuff, but it's the same thing, just gradual over time. Most of the days, yeah. most of the days you're just showing up and then that odd, you know, you build towards that PR day, right? And, and by taking care of all those other things that you're, you're talking about, right? 
you know, you ideally race week, you don't have that stressful breakup and everything else. Yeah. Um, totally. Cool. So I think we've covered a lot of stuff. Again, I didn't want to get too deep on stuff. We may have gone a little deep on a few things, but the, the pain workbooks there, if you know, for whatever level of your interest, again, if you're just dealing with some stuff, that's going to be helpful for you guys. Um, I always like to finish by just sort of asking, um, you know, it, what, if, if I wanted to be more like you, what, is there a book or two that you would say like have really influenced, you know, your path, maybe the one that made you go to Cairo school or the one that made you, you know, really understand pain differently? Um, are, are there a couple books recommendations you can give us? Oh, good question. Is I mostly, uh, it could be fictional. Like if it's Alice in Wonderland, that's, that's awesome. I don't know about book if books have ever really influenced me. Really? Um, like it in that area. Yeah. Not really. Like I don't, I don't, I don't like, I do read more fiction than the nonfiction. I really just read the research Right, the primary research and, yeah. and rather than books. Um, okay. Yeah. No. No, I can't think of anything. It's like it's the same thing with me. Like pe- people often ask, like they'll say they have an epiphany with their career. Yeah. I had a slow. Like I was introduced to the biopsychosocial, and that it was more than just biomechanics when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Like I, maybe there is a book. So I remember reading John Sarno. When he's like the back pain revolution, no, that's a waddle. I can't remember what John Sonor's book. He just passed away, about about how pain. This was like in 1993. Pain was influenced more by all the other things in your life than just the mechanics. Was he the guy so with was, the breathing? Was, was there a breathing technique? Really, really young. Like I was like 19 or 18 then or whatever. Was there a breathing technique as part of that? Do you yeah, remember? maybe. Like he probably went too far with it, right? His his was all like. Pain was the um, physical manifestation of some emotional turmoil. So they probably would be breathing to help cope, cope with it, but I don't think that was his biggest thing. Okay. You know, so, but uh, he, he, he went too far. So I, I was lucky. I heard, I heard this stuff quite young, and it was just like a slow, uh, a, a slow change over time, like that would reaffirm my biases. What I always try to do for, for reading is, I have a I I have biases of what I think is going on, and I have a simple framework, and then I always try to challenge it, like like I'm stress testing it, like a bridge, where you know can I prove myself wrong, and all those things. That's, yeah, it's amazing how we choose stuff, like to listen to stuff and interpret stuff based, like to sort of confirm it, right? But you almost want to take the approach. I heard this the other day, actually, that. Um, you want to know, like what, like keep asking yourself, how do I know I'm right? You know, or yeah. how, how do I know I'm not wrong? And then go yeah. and, go and look at that polarized view, right? Yeah, because you're gonna. I think you're naturally just gonna find stuff that that you agree with. But so you, you kind of got have to go out of your way to find the something to challenge what you're thinking. Okay, I asked you this while I was on the table getting after I got hit by the car, and <laughs> uh, I don't know if your answer will be any different. But it, it's been on quite a few years now. So where you are now. Would you have done differently your educational path? And I don't know if this offend will end up offending a, a Cairo or a physio, depending on your answer. Yeah, you, you know what? I probably I I think Cairo training was excellent in in Canada, but um, it's not necessary. Like people always ask, well, you're a Cairo and a physio. What you know? What should I do? I always recommend that to go to physio. It's just an easier. It's an easier route. It's cheaper. Uh, it's two years. Cairo is too much extra stuff that people don't need. They're not as well accepted in the mainstream. So mm-hmm. everyone always asks. 
I think chiros are excellent. Don't don't get me wrong, especially the the ones that I know that I've worked in. But there's just there's other ways to to get there. So if I'd have done it differently, I would have done my masters, and then maybe a, a, a physio masters, and then a PhD. Instead of the four years of Cairo school, it would have been quicker and cheaper. Right. It's always tough because you you might not have been the same person if you didn't make that twisty path, though. Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Alrighty. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I know you've been traveling and stuff, but that's that's awesome. Thank you so much, Greg, and thank you for you know all the work you're putting out, and you know most of it's free. And uh, if people do want to look more into you, have courses on running and and for like I say, the physio and Cairo and strength coaches, um, and they're worldwide. You have London. There's one in Montreal. There's one in Peterborough for Canadians. Uh, are you going to Chicago soon as well? Yeah, in February, I think. Okay. Yeah. And then so maybe May. I'm not sure. Okay. Chicago twice next year. Awesome. Well, I'll link to the courses. We'll link to the the pain workbook, which is a downloadable PDF. Um, anything else? Uh, obviously, your Twitter and Instagram for the the gymnastics uh, stomping of new yeah new, I, new learns. Instagram. I just Instagram is my flipping diary. That's all that is. It's like I don't really put like a lot of professional stuff on there. It's right. just it's just for me to track the progress. Well, there you go. So, if people are more interested in our in the first part of our conversation, Instagram's the place to go. And so, yeah, we'll it's so egocentric. <laughs> well, I mean, that's Instagram. My, yeah, I guess so. I was just full of narcissism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I thank you, sir. Hopefully, I'll touch or we'll cross paths soon in in some sort of sporting environment. Okay, thank you. All right, take care, Greg. Thanks. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.